We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What up, listener? We wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this Blue Wire podcast. Be sure to show your support to this pod by subscribing and dropping a five-star review on iTunes, a follow on Spotify, or the appropriate dap for any other platform you might be listening on. And if you're enjoying this show, chances are you'll like one of our 75 other sports podcasts. Find more shows you'll love at BlueWirePods.com. Thanks again for listening, and now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Blue Wire. The Chicago Bulls select Kobe White. Levine with the runway! Welcome to Cash Considerations, the Chicago Bulls podcast. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. I'm here with Jason Pat. As always, we also have a special guest on the line today. That's Will Gottlieb from Bleacher Report. We'll get to Will in a second. Quick look at the standings right now for the Bulls. 18-30 and 30 on the season. They are three games out of the number eight seed. They're currently in ninth position in the Eastern Conference. Uh, this week, the Bulls so far have gone two and two since our last podcast. They lost to the Milwaukee Bucks on Monday. Of course, they lost to the Bucks on Wednesday. They beat the Timberwolves in an absolutely ugly game, headlined by the first double-digit scoring effort of the season from Cristiano Felicio. You gotta love to see that. <laughs> Friday, just one of the worst games of the year. Bulls lose to the Kings, lose ninety-eight eighty-one. The offense just looked absolutely anemic. That was the Bulls' first game without Lowry Markin, and we'll get to that in a minute. And then last night, uh, on Saturday night, Zach Levine totally bails out the Bulls. What he put up? 44-8-10 or something in a yep. 118-106 victory over Cleveland. The Cavs are an absolute train wreck. Speaking of train wrecks, the Chicago Bulls. So the news of the week is that Lowry Markkinen has a stress reaction in his right pelvis. He's going to be out four to six weeks. This seems like a particularly strange injury, given the way Boylan and the team was talking about it. Uh, first, they said that this wasn't a precautionary measure. That came from Boylan and media availability. Then immediately the team gets to Casey Johnson. is like, yeah, this is precautionary. Uh, they said that Markkinen could possibly play if this was the playoffs. Markkinen can't believe that uh, he has to sit out for four to six weeks. But, you know, he's looked banged up all year. Certainly his play being a disappointment has been probably the biggest storyline for the Bulls all season and right there uh, with just how miserable Boylan has been as a head coach. So 
Will, thanks for joining us today. Just want to get your early thoughts uh, on the market and injury and really just on the season in general, which has been basically a huge bummer. What's up, guys? Yeah, happy to be here. Um, yeah, Lowry has been really disappointing this year. I mean, he's not been, like, objectively terrible, but, like, the fact that it's year three, which is a year where a lot of guys take a step forward. Um, the way that they've been using him, I think, has been very disappointing as far as not catering to his skill set. And we just, like, haven't seen the growth. He's been basically spotting up and shooting threes in the corner, and he's a fine three-point shooter, but when that's all he does, I think... You know, he can get in his head a little bit and not really um, expand the game in all the ways that we want to see. So you said that the Bulls haven't been using him to his strengths. Uh, I'm curious how you would use him differently because, you know, one thing that jumps out to me immediately looking at his game logs, the only game this year he took 20 shots was the first game of the season against Charlotte. He took 25 attempts. After that, you know, you can count on one hand the number of times he even took 15 or more shots. Really, uh, he has a ton of games where he's taking less than 10 attempts from the field. So, you know, we've we've heard people talk about that throughout the year, I think, of just like Mar- Markkinen's being misused. But I'm curious, Will, how you think they could use him better. Yeah, I mean, the, the results from that first game were pretty good, too. And you'd think you would want to kind of replicate some of that going forward. But um, yeah, I think so. The Bulls' like strategy coming into the season has been like take a lot of layups and a lot of threes, which is great. You know, you want to have that shot profile. That's good analytically to get the most efficient shots on the floor. Um, and I think because Lowry is considered to be a good shooter, you want him in one of those spacing roles. And then you have guys like Zach Levine, um, you know, Chris Dunn at some points being the ones that kind of handle the ball and are either the ones that take the step back threes or get all the way to the rim. So you don't really have Lowry in that role. Um, I think what's confusing to me is when they'll have Luke Cornett in pick and roll instead of Lowry, who's, I mean, Luke can space the floor too, um, but he's not the decision maker or kind of basket attacker that Lowry could be. So that that's a little bit confusing to me. But what I'd like to see more is the way that he was used last February, which is grab the rebound and go. I think the Bulls have been um, slowing down the pace a little bit. I should probably check the numbers on that before I say anything, but um, it seems like they're walking it up and playing a little bit more half court and they aren't really putting him in positions where he's, you know, coming off of a pin down and getting the ball downhill where he can either put his head down and get all the way to the basket or kick it out or um, kind of try to bully a smaller guy. Um, you really just haven't seen any of those things. And then when it seems like Boylan wants to get those guys involved, whether it was Wendell before he got hurt or Lowry now, it's like, okay, well, we'll just get him a post-up. And I don't think either of those guys are particularly good at post-ups, and those post-up shots aren't particularly efficient. So um, it just doesn't really make sense to me that those are the we'll throw the sky a bone option. Um, you'd think that it would want to be more in the motion, in the flow of the offense with kind of a head of steam and hopefully a guy – on your tail as opposed to having to break somebody down off the dribble. Yeah, yeah. the on-the-move stuff is has definitely been, like, a huge, I think, talking point. And the funny thing is we kind of saw it against the Wolves, at least early. Like, he was definitely being aggressive. We saw him bully some lower guys, like you mentioned, doing that, like getting in those switches and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, we saw that, and it was like, oh, maybe this is, like, the return of maybe a better Larry Mark and then this injury comes out of nowhere, which I feel like a lot of people, and Ricky, you brought up like the weird, like the weird, uh, like just kind of miscommunication, if you want to call it that, between Boylan and the Bulls. And I know like Darnell wrote about this as well. And other people like immediately thought like, 
So he had that oblique thing earlier in the year, and then he had the ankle injury, which looked like he was going to miss some time, and then he didn't. And there was this whole thing with like Lowry wanting to play 82 games. Darnell kind of did downplay it, like like did those other injuries and playing through that lead to this. Like the Bulls claimed that they just found this injury like a couple days ago. Like, well, do you think like do you do you buy that? Do you think that they, this really just kind of cropped up, or do you think do you think there's any way that this was from him playing through this other crap as well? So I hate like trying to speculate on medical right. stuff. Um, you know, I think with the Bulls' medical history, which I also don't like to criticize because it's just like I don't know anything about doing that job. But, not a doctor. <laughs> um, exactly, not a doctor. Um, I mean, I think that the mentality of I'm going to play 82 games probably could get somebody in trouble if they like have these nagging injuries. And you know, we know Lowry has um, been susceptible to like smaller injuries in the past where you know, something could build up, you could have um, more stress on something, and then all of a sudden it's way worse, or you overcompensate in some way, and now something else is injured. Um, that happened to me all the time playing in high school. So I could definitely see that happening. Um, and I also get why he would want to play 82 games. Um, but you just look at the way that, like, the Pelicans are handling Zion and, like, keeping him out for even longer than the recommended time from the doctors, and then also working with these, like, physiological specialists on his gait and his jumping um and it just doesn't seem like the bulls are thinking about it that progressively which i think is a bummer yeah what type of goal is play all 82 games in the load management era for one of your stars that's like the antithesis of how every smart team in the league is thinking about their star players yet the bulls go out there with this meatball mentality of oh we're gonna show up and play every game he's got an ankle injury he can play through it he's got whatever he can play through an oblique strain it's just stupid, dude. It's so regressive in terms of like how you think about managing the health of one of your star players, particularly a guy who played 68 games as a rookie, 52 games uh, in his second year. And this year so far, he's played 46. He hadn't missed a game before this injury, but now he's going to be out six weeks. It's just like such ass-backwards thinking to me. And, uh, you know, it, it seems like a storyline that happens every year, doesn't it? Like, we could really use a definitive list of all the times the Bulls have mismanaged injuries because, uh, to me, it's just like deja vu all over again. We could have predicted at the beginning of the season. You go down the list. Wendell Carter had the ankle injury in January. He hasn't played, so you're missing your two cornerstones in the front court just this month. Uh, of course, we've had the Otto Porter Jr. injury, which the Bulls seem to misdiagnose for a while. We still don't have a definitive timetable on when he's going to be back. You'd think he's probably going to come back the re- you know, at some point this season, but uh, we don't really know when yet. So, you know, who could have thought that the Bulls would have another season totally ruined by injuries? And you just wonder how the front office is going to spin this at the end of the year. I I swear to God, every year at the end of the season uh, press conference, Paxson's like, well, you know, we just don't have enough information to evaluate Jerry and Grant and Cameron Payne on whether or not they're good NBA players yet because they're always hurt. Well, they weren't good NBA players, and you should have been able to figure this out, but you couldn't even keep them healthy to make a determination for way too long. So uh, it just seems like deja vu all over again. And to me, it's one of the most frustrating things about this year in this franchise. Yeah, well, you have to wonder, I mean, how much soul do these guys have if they're not able to play 82 games? So, um, But I do think, like, the idea of wasted seasons is becoming like more and more important here where you've got guys that are coming up for extensions. Chris Dunn um, is a restricted free agent this summer. They have to figure out what they want to do with him. Um, You know, I don't know off the top of my head what order everybody's coming up in, but like Lowry, 
uh, Wendell, and then obviously Kobe's a rookie now, but like in three or four years. And Zach's already on his second contract, um, which ends not after next year, but the following year. So he's got two more full seasons. But um, all of a sudden, you've got like an expensive roster full of guys that have won you a grand total of like 50 games in four seasons. Like, what do you, you have to make decisions there about who you want to keep, which guys are worth it. And I don't know that they have any ability to do that at this point. Yeah, so that's the perfect lead in here to my next question. Just like, what do we make now, like, of Lowry? This is year three. We've we've mentioned he's been hurt every year. He's stagnated his growth. Like, what do the Bulls, like, Ricky and I have both talked about on recent podcasts, like, the extension talks coming up this offseason. Yeah. Like, and we're, like, four for, like, 60 maybe, but, like, he has no reason to accept that. Like, he's still a young guy who allegedly might be, should be able to get better, should be better in general. Like, like what, like, where do you, I guess just like, how do you view Lowry now as like a member of this core? Like, do you still view him as one of your cornerstones? Do you look at him as a, as a guy who maybe is trade fodder? Like, I don't want to give up on the guy right now, but like through two and a half seasons now, and he's going to miss another month, month to month and a half, who knows, maybe, maybe even longer than that. Like just where, what do the bulls do and how do they view Lowry Markin as a, as a quote unquote cornerstone of this, of this young core? Yeah, I mean, it's a really tough position to be in. You never want to, like, not have information to be able to make decisions, and that's kind of where they are right now. Um, with Lowry, I think it's even more tough because he has been just playing so far away from what potential everybody seems to think he has. Um, and they're not even using him that way, right? Like I said, they're kind of just using him as a space-up shooter. I mean, they could sign Luke Cornett for $4 million over two years and have somebody play a similar role. So... Um, you know, I, I think Lowry does have more potential than what he's shown. Um, I'm not sure that Jim Boylan is really kind of pulling it out of him in the way that um, I would be happy about if I was uh, running the Bulls. But um, I think it's just like too early to make a decision with him. I think you kind of do have to wait. Um, you're not going to get him on some insane value extension now because of the injuries. So I think it probably is going to either be, you know, wait until the time is up on his contract and then pay him what he's worth at that point or make a decision. But I think just in general, like if you're a younger team building this way, you're, it's very difficult to maintain all of the players that you have on these rookie scale contracts. And part of the reason why those contracts are so valuable is that you can add them to other actually good players. And all of a sudden you can like start to build a championship team around like a max contract and a couple of rookie scale contracts. Um, but the Bulls are now going to be in a position where they kind of have to start thinking about extending these guys, and they're not going to really be bad enough to continue to fill out the roster with younger guys. So um, it's just a really tough spot to be in. And, yeah, I think they're going to just have to continue to wait. They'll lose, you know, at some point on auto, and that'll clear up some space. But um, they have to get enough information to be able to decide what to do with these guys. My take on Markinen, though, in terms of the extension contracts coming up, like, I would definitely make him an offer, one that, you know, probably wouldn't be ideal for him, but I think maybe he'll take it. He seems like uh, he's programmed a little differently than a lot of guys throughout the league. He also seems to really have a lot of self-loathing in his comments this year. Like, he's very reflective in terms of, like, I need to be better. I need to do more. So I would make him an offer even if he doesn't take it, because I do believe that he still has trade value around the league. Like, if you put any of the Bulls guys up in a deal right now, I think that Markkanen would 
possibly have the most trade value on the team. Maybe Wendell Carter, but I think you could get more for Markkinen than you could for Zach at this point. And I actually think that Zach is probably a better piece long term, partially for that reason, and partially because I think, you know, if you were to get him in a more structured environment, playing next to an actual star and in a better role for him too. By that, I mean playing off the ball, running around screens as a shooter, not being like your lead decision maker, your lead pick and roll guy, your lead isolation guy, that perhaps that could be reprogrammed a little bit. Maybe that's an ambitious take on my part. Uh, But I at least think, you know, it's a possibility given his physical talent. With Markkinen, I almost wouldn't mind the Bulls try to make an aggressive move at this point uh, in terms of shaking up the core because what are you going to do? Just roll this team back again next year and win 31 games if you're lucky and uh, you know, not make any tangible progress towards anything. And then when you enter 2021 free agency, who's really going to want to sign up with a loser franchise like the Chicago Bulls? So uh, I have been saying even ahead of, you know, the last NBA draft, I would like to see the Bulls make a bold move. Do you think that that's a possibility, Will? Do you think that, you know, ideally that has to be done by a different decision maker than John Paxson and Gar Foreman? Uh, are they sort of, have they sort of made their bed in terms of this post-Jimmy Butler rebuild? Uh, and they're just sort of waiting for, you know, hopefully for the axe to drop and they get canned or, you know, get a weird promotion where they don't have the responsibility <laughs> of signing guys and making trades anymore. Because, man, I really think a bold move is in the Bulls' best interest. That's just my point of view at this point. And I think from like a cap sheet standpoint, you cu- you're getting to the point where you kind of have to make a move. Um, like I mentioned, just because you're going to start to max out your your sheet with these guys that are currently on the team and not giving you much. So, um, you know, I think consolidation is probably their best path forward. I'm not sure who that would be. Um, I think Jason mentioned this a uh, day or two ago um, on the podcast about just like some disgruntled star will emerge and, and they'll, you know, be in a decent position to trade for them with the kind of reputations that some of these guys have, but I totally agree with you. I feel like, you know, the Jimmy Butler trade was the last big move, like, that these guys should have, and, like, if they're going to move away from Zach Lowry or Wendell and, like, try to repurpose those guys, like, yeah, I totally 100% agree that it should be somebody else's decision to make and not theirs. So, I, I guess not talking about firing packs, but if we're talking about moves in general, I guess just smaller moves now even with this with this injury now, and I know, obviously the Bulls beat the Cavs last night, but nobody cares about that. I mean, the Cavs are awful. The Bulls are probably going to lose a bunch of games now. We saw them, how ugly it was against the Kings, and obviously the trade, trade deadline is what, like oh, 10 days away now at this point? We're super close uh, to the trade deadline. Do you see them making any type of moves before the deadline? Obviously the Thad Young thing has come up in trade rumors and the Clippers I think Chris, I mean, Chris Dunn's a possibility as well. He's played much better this season, but you mentioned he's a restricted free agent. Like, do you want to commit money to him as a member of this core when you've never won anything with him? Uh, I mean, Denzel Valentine, I know Casey wrote an article saying that it's time to trade him if you're not going to play him. He has played the last couple nights, but he's been really bad, and he obviously was out of the rotation before this Lowry injury. Any smaller moves you think the Bulls make, will make, should make? What do you think, Will? So I think the standings really do complicate this. They are... You know, like you said at the top, Ricky, it's three games out and they're one, there's only one team ahead of them into the playoffs. So my guess is that they're going to kind of fancy themselves, maybe not buyers, but like they're going to kind of still go for it. Um, that A lot could change in the next week. They have San Antonio at Indiana, at Brooklyn, at Toronto, and then on the trade deadline day next Thursday versus New Orleans, um, who haven't won a game yet with Zion, but still obviously have been playing a lot better and Zion is amazing. 
Um, so if they drop like five games in a row and then, you know, fall to 10 or 11, I could see them maybe trying to make a move. Um, the Chris Dunn situation kind of reminds me of Bobby Portis last year where, um, you have this guy who's starting to play well, even though it's not necessarily translating into anything. Um, but you know, I think Chris Dunn does have like at least one really tangible skill set that a contending team might want. Um, and he's on a pretty reasonable contract considering he's still on his rookie deal. Um, I could see him being moved. I don't know what you're going to get for Denzel at this point. I mean, he can do a couple of NBA skills like dribbling and shooting. Um, you know, <laughs> we joke about this all the time, but it's kind of a lack of a self-awareness about, you know, how much, how good he is, how, how much he's contributing. Um, but like, I'm sure there's a team who, you know, could use a 6-6 shooter. Um, that just seems like something that everybody would want now. What you're going to get back for any of these guys, I'm not sure. Um, if you could add a couple of draft picks to your kind of treasure chest here, I think that would be a good thing um, and, and possibly help alleviate some of that cap stress that you might be feeling um, in the next coming years. But I don't think there's going to be any major like Lowry, Wendell, um, Otto Porter, Zach Levine deals at the deadline that's, here. That's always the safe bet because, you know, when in doubt, the Bulls choose to Bulls do nothing rather than make a proactive move. You mentioned the strength of schedule. Looking at the remaining strength of schedule rankings right now, the Bulls have the fourth hardest remaining schedule in the league with a cumulative winning record of opponents of 526. Remember, they've only beaten one 500 team the entire year, and that was against the Clippers with some major extenuating circumstances. So, uh, guys, look at the schedule. The Bulls are going to absolutely tank to the bottom without marketing. Like, this is going to get really, really ugly really quickly, in my opinion. Perhaps they'll win some games late in the year when teams are sort of mailing it in, resting their starters for the playoffs. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, if if teams are engaged in this part of the schedule, the Bulls are going to get absolutely rocked, and they're going to fall down the standings pretty quickly. I do not see them having any chance of getting the eighth seed, just to be totally honest. Like, I know they're ninth right now. I know they're three games out, but they're going to drop like a rock without marking, and that's just my opinion. I think the other thing you have to remember is the way that the lottery odds now work, it might be beneficial for some of these teams that are like a game into the playoffs to fall out. Like I can see the Orlando Magic uh, with Jonathan Isaac being out for some time. You know, do they want to give themselves a chance at, you know, jumping up in the draft or do they want to get smacked by the Bucks in the first round? Um, and same thing in the West. I mean, you have some younger teams that like the Suns or the Kings or maybe the Grizzlies. It would just be like good for those organizations to get into the playoffs. And I think the Bulls kind of fall into that category. Um, maybe the Pistons too. But I, I could see some of these other teams just being like, you know what? We had a good run here at the start of the year and our guys hurt. So we're just going to fall out of the playoffs and just hope that something happens with these lottery balls. And if not, well, this draft doesn't have any Zions or Lucas, but there's maybe a little bit of depth to it where we could add a rotation player at, you know, 14 or 13 or something like that. I would guess the magic. I think they would probably want to make, I mean, they made the playoffs last year. I feel like they thought they were going to take a step and now they're just kind of meandering around. Aaron Gordon isn't any good. You mentioned the Isaac injury. I still feel like they'd probably want to make it. Do the Nets have their, they don't even have their draft pick this year. Do they? I don't even remember. I'm not the sure Nets what their pick is, is going to Atlanta. Okay, yeah. So I feel like they. I mean, they have. So they have no they incentive have to drop out. And I, I. I mean, they should be better. I mean, they. Should, they've been all. They obviously they beat the Pistons last time, but they've been terrible. They've been getting their ass beat a lot. I do think their schedule might lighten up, and like they, they play the Knicks today. Like you would think they should beat the Knicks, and it is a second of a back to back. But yeah, I don't know. It, with all these hard games the Bulls have left, you would think that they're going to fall. I mean, like I said, the Kings game was awful. They were able to beat the Cavs, but I mean, the Cavs are a, 
an absolute joke. They've lost like seven in a row. Bulls beat them twice. Uh, they got pants by the Knicks the other night. So you, the Bulls can't beat good teams, and it's just hard to imagine them without. Even if the Bulls get like Porter and Carter back at some point, just they haven't been able to beat good teams all year. So with their schedule left, it is definitely. I mean, I I feel like I've been saying this for a while that I think they get into like the low 30s with this market and injury now high 20s probably seems more reasonable maybe zach is able to carry them to a few more wins but yeah actually getting in the playoffs as bad as this race is i kind of doubt it let's let's talk about zach a little bit more will obviously we mentioned 44 points i think 10 rebounds eight assists against the Cavs. that's two amazing performances against the Cavs in the past week he's i was actually looking just in the last time when i was tweeting a few things he's had like all of his best games on the second of back-to-backs and the bulls are six and two on second of back-to-back this year a lot of that is because they've been playing awful teams and that one clippers win was on a second of a back-to-back but the clippers were missing three key players and were also on the second of a back-to-back so it's kind of weird scheduling there but the bull zach's been playing his best basketball on the second of back-to-backs he's almost averaging 30 points a game in eight back-to-back games but another huge game for him last night as he makes this quote-unquote all-star surge obviously all-star starters were announced the other day Trey Young did make it in as an all-star starter uh so they got we got seven reserves voted in we talked about me and Ricky talked about this on a recent podcast we kind of both think that he might be like an alternate all-star like he'll be like the 13th or 14th guy and maybe he'll be like an injury alternate because I, I think just in my view like they're the coaches will vote will go with guys on good teams who might while their raw numbers might not be as impressive as Zach who's putting up 25 5 and 4 but making an impact on good teams will probably will is just better in the eyes of coaches will what do you think do you think he should be in do you think he will get in what are your takes on Zach Levine all-star push yeah I think you guys are pretty much spot on there in terms of like he's going to be in that smaller group of guys right below the the wild card spots um so it, like an injury could definitely put him in there um, I'm, I'm torn though on like, should he be an all-star? Like, I think that's where he will be. Um, he has been incredible the last, just really this whole month. I mean, he's just been scoring at will. Um, he's getting to the basket and finishing a lot better, which is something that like, he's kind of struggled with in the past as far as getting blocked or just not finishing at the rim. He's getting the free throw line. Um, just like all of his numbers are insane and he's really fun to watch. I mean, he, like he's kind of built for an all-star game. He's like just jack up threes and dunks. Right. Like that's what you want to see in the all-star game. And I think that's why, like I have no problem with Trey Young getting in because he's just an incredibly exciting player to watch. Um, so I think like just in general, the media and the coaches need to like figure out what do we value in an all-star spot. Like, do we want to give it to a guy like you know Kyle Lowry who's not very exciting but plays for a winning team, or do we want to just like let the kids play and let Zach Levine do it. Um, I'm kind of torn on that. Like, I do think Zach would be more fun than Kyle Lowry in the All-Star game, but I definitely, like, respect Kyle Lowry more as a player, and, like, he has earned it and is obviously a champion. Um, so, I don't know. I'm kind of torn, but I think he's definitely in that same kind of spot that you guys think where just uh, just below the All-Stars and maybe an injury gets him in. Um, Here are some rankings for Levine in some of the advanced stats, just doing a quick search on basketball reference. So in BPM, Levine's 53rd. In win shares, Levine is 35th. And in VORP, Levine is 22nd. Now, none of those stats are perfect. Uh, We prefer something like RPM, where Levine's terrible in that. I don't have the number in front of me, but... He's, like, outside of the top 200 or 300, I think. Yeah, his ORPM is probably really darn good, because obviously when he sits, the Bulls' offense tanks. But, yeah, I mean, it's the defense is still a problem there when you're 
doing RPM. Continue. And then on uh, 538's Raptor metric, which I really like, he's a plus 1.5 on offense, minus 0.7 on defense, so he's grades out as a slight positive, but not moving the needle all that much. Uh, I think that Levine has, in a lot of ways, sort of stayed still at the level he was at last year. If you like look across the board at his efficiency numbers and at just like his assist rate, his steal rate, his block rate, they're all pretty much about the same. He is a slightly less efficient scorer this year compared to last year, but Levine also had the slow start this season, so I wouldn't be surprised if that number creeps back up and uh you know, he, he ends up having a more efficient offensive season than last year. But in general, you know, I kind of think this is the type of guy he is. I would love to see him in a more off-ball role. And I think, you know, in the game against the Cavs, we saw Sadoransky get it going a little bit. I would like to see the offense run more through Sadoransky and Carter when Carter eventually gets back. Hopefully the Bulls don't rush him back, uh, which I think Carter already gave a quote about it. Like, I'm going to bust my ass to get back on the court. It's like, dude, just chill. The season's going nowhere. <laughs> We're going to get pounded by these 500 teams anyway. So, uh, But I think that, you know, you you could see a scenario, or I would like to see a scenario, where Zach takes a step back in terms of self-creation and they run it a little more through Sadoransky and Carter because I think ultimately, like, if Zach Levine is your offensive initiator, if he's your best player, your team is just such a hard ceiling on how good they can be. But in a more off-ball role where he'd be suited for, I think that potentially he could be more of a useful player. Yeah, I mean, the way that NBA is built these days, like, every team has their guy that they just run everything through. Um, and so, like, to me, some of these raw box score numbers are just, like, Obviously, they're impressive, but it's like it's not that impressive anymore if a guy has like a 30, 10, and 10 night because like Luca averages that, LeBron averages that. It's just like the way, like I didn't even mention James Harden. It's just the way that the NBA works. Like one guy has the ball in his hands all, all the time and either drives and kicks it out or he shoots a three. And so, like putting up these giant numbers, um, like what I want to see more from that is like how do you impact your team's offense? And Bulls' offense is better with Zach on the floor than it is off, but the Bulls' offense is still really terrible. It's like bottom five in the league over the course of the season. So um, I don't see him as like a very impactful player, um, even though I think what he can do is like incredible at times. Um, But Ricky, I totally agree. Like he had a couple of cuts last night where he's just like in the corner and he cut baseline and got some easy dunks. Um, You know, he he's just such a skilled player and he's such a good catch and shoot corner three guy that like they should put him there a little bit more and let him cut and let him kind of like catch reversal passes and break down the offense if the initial um, action doesn't work. Um, but the Bulls just like don't, they just don't have anybody they can really run anything through at this point, especially with Lowry and Wendell out. I, I would love to see Wendell um, kind of run a little bit more of the offense through him, but I just don't know that it really meshes with the style of offense that it seems like they want to play this year, which is that spread, pick and roll. Um, you're either spacing or you're running pick and roll. So, um yeah, I mean, I think that makes a lot more sense for him. It's just, like, they haven't done it, unfortunately. Yeah, like, Ricky, you mentioned Sadoransky, and he played really well against the Cavs, but he'd been really struggling before. And, like, I like him as, like, a decent player. I don't want to say, like, I'm disappointed by him, because I feel like he's kind of been what we expected. We knew he'd be low usage. I think his shooting's been a little worse than maybe we were hoping for. But, yeah, I mean, like, it sounds nice to say, like, run it through him more, but I feel like against good teams, like, I just don't know if that's going to work. Like, that's why the Bulls are 1-18 against good teams, and... Yeah, when it comes down to Zach, like he's one of the best scores, just scores in the NBA. But 
when you ask him to do the other stuff as well against defenses that are focused on him, it just doesn't go as well, and he just can't. He just doesn't really raise the level of the team. He can, he can, he can bum slay with the best of them. We've seen him just destroy these bad teams and go on these super fun scoring binges. But when it comes to actually, and I don't want to blame all that on him because obviously the talent around him is just not good enough. But yeah, I mean, I think we're all kind of on the same page. And where's that? Let's let's go to let's go to the coach. We have not really talked about our our guy Jimbo Jim Boylan yet. I guess we did kind of mention that he screwed up another injury thing earlier and just. I feel like every night there's just something goofy. So something. We had the uh, the goofy Luke Cornett is Robert Ori comparison <laughs> that we heard on the, the broadcast. I think that was the Wolves broadcast. We should start lo- calling Luke Cornett uh, Luke Cornett or Luke Luke Ori. I was calling him the other day. Luke Cornett actually was a little better lately, but uh, still in general, it's like and goofy stuff from Jim Boylan as usual. He had he had the thing at the end of the Wolves game as well where. Bulls were up seven with five seconds left, and he calls a timeout, and his his uh, reasoning was like, oh, I wanted to advance the ball because the Wolves were pressing. Dude, there are five seconds left in this game. You're up by seven. It's, like, literally impossible to lose this game right now. And Ryan Saunders was, like, looking at him like, like, he's, like what are you doing, guy? And this, this is not the first time Boylan has pissed somebody, another coach off with, like, a late timeout like that or something goofy. Like, so, I mean, it's just more, just more silliness. Like, after basically every damn game or before games with this guy just – well, just what is like? What is your take on Boylan? And I'm sure you have very similar ones to us. Very critical of him, and just in general, just like this guy is the face of your franchise. It's just ridiculous. But it sure seems like everything's setting up for him to be staying. Like Darnell brought this up in the Lowry, his Lowry injury column about how it's this injury is going to basically just give the front office a, an excuse to keep Boylan around next season. Just what do we make of the Boylan thing these days? It just what really baffles me. I think. Just to reiterate, yes, I think we have very similar opinions about the guy. Um, it's just like, what did Fred Hoiberg do to like get himself fired that Jim Boylan hasn't already done? It just seems like yeah. the front office has made up their mind that they're just sticking with this guy. And honestly, like, I don't hate that just that philosophy on its face, but um, there's just been so many instances of like this guy's actively hurting the development of the young guys that are really the whole point of this team right now and it's just kind of confusing to me um i think the stubbornness is a big issue um as far as like not changing game plans like i know we've all railed on the blitzing pick and roll stuff um over the course of the year but like the other day they swore i think it was last weekend they started switching against the Cavs in the fourth quarter and they came back from a giant deficit and won um and then, like, all of a sudden, they tried to do that again against the Bucks, or I'm sorry, the uh, Timberwolves. And then they started switching, and they had, like, Chris Dunn on Carl Towns. And it's just like, what are you doing? Like, that's just never going to work. So, um, and they've had, like, Archie Diacono on Giannis. Um, I just don't really understand a lot of the things that we're seeing on the court, and he's not doing a good job of explaining them to the media so that the media can then relay those things to the fans. Um, and I think that's where a lot of the frustration comes in. It's just like, I don't understand what I'm seeing. What I'm seeing seems really dumb to me and nobody is giving me a good answer except for because I said so, which is just not acceptable to me. And the third quarter net rating to me is just so damning. Like the Bulls are actually performing pretty well in the first two quarters in terms of net rating. In the third quarter, they're like one of the worst teams in the league. And we've seen that play out how many times this season where the Bulls have been like, somewhat in it by halftime and they just get 
crushed in the third, and it's because opposing coaches are going into the break. They're seeing something in the Bulls' defense. They're adjusting, and Boylan can't do it. Like, that is... Uh, totally, that's a smoking gun to me. So until and the adjustment is like so simple, it's like either drop the ball off when you're getting blitzed, if you're the ball handler and you're getting trapped in pick and roll, it's dump it off, and then if the help comes, then kick it to the corner, and if the help doesn't come, just go dunk it. And it seems like they understand the shots that they want to take on offense, which are shots at the rim and shots beyond the arc, especially from the corner. But yet they give up those same shots, like as a first and second option, um, and like you get you get to decide something that you take away from an offense. Like if things go well, what you can do is say I'm gonna force you into mid range shots by dropping back and pick and roll, and either you're gonna take floaters or like they did this with Robin Lopez every single game. Um, so just that, that part of it doesn't, I don't get that. Yeah, basically that whole defense, it's a gimmick. Like, they force a shit ton of turnovers. I think they're, like, historically good at forcing turnovers this year, but, like, that's it. Like, if they don't force a turnover, they're basically screwed. So, like, if, against good teams, we see it where, like, sometimes good teams, like, we saw the Bucks turn it over a lot, but, like, if a good team just lasers in and focuses and they, and they, they have smart players who make the right decisions, we see teams kill that blitzing pick and roll all the time. Against a team like the Cavs, who's with young guards and stuff like that, and they're just bad. Yeah, like, the turn, they, when the... When the Bulls do do this kind of thing and they're super aggressive, like you mentioned, they threw them off with that switching as well. But the Bulls can take advantage of bad teams and teams that just aren't focused with this blitzing defense. They force all those turnovers and they get points on the other end. But when teams actually make the adjustment, they make the smart play and they and they find the open shooters and get layups. Like it happens all the time. We see, we've seen it happen all the time with good teams making those adjustments and they kill the Bulls defense, which is why. The Bulls defense when they get they there was that one point they got to like the like they were like top three top four after after December they had that long stretch against this awful teams and then legitimately right after this right at the start of the year we saw them play a string of good teams and their defense just got absolutely absolutely torched night in night out because we knew it was just kind of a fluke and the whole thing is like a gimmick and that's I mean basically the Bulls whole thing is a gimmick I was I think I was telling this in our crew message the other day it's like their offense is basically like. They, they obviously are, like, the super into the analytics, which is fine to a degree, but, like, it's basically, like, we need to get bailed out by Zach hitting ridiculous shots. And then our defense is, like, we sell out to force turnovers, and if that doesn't happen, we're totally screwed. So it's just, like, is there long-term success? Like, can you maintain that kind of success with that? Probably not. Like, obviously, they do need better players, but just, like, the whole thing just seems like... I think like we've used the word paper tiger before. It just seems like it's just not. It's just such a flimsy thing. And like you can beat bad teams that way when you have a guy like Zach Levine scoring these big numbers. But like just overall, like man, it's just tough. I don't know. It just doesn't seem like it's like a long term like recipe for success. And to their credit, though, I think like looking at the defense now compared to uh, like October November, it does look a lot better. I think the rotations are a lot tighter, and like yeah. they are forcing these deals for a reason. Like they're they're kind of. Uh, trapping the ball, forcing a kick out, and, like, they're positioned really well to be able to get between one of two guys to steal um, a kickout pass. So I think they're, like, learning this stuff, and it's making more sense. And, like, I mentioned this the other day when they started doing the switching thing. Like, I think a lot of the same principles apply to that so that they can pick it up pretty quickly in a game when they just decide to go to it. Um, but, yeah, their defense has fallen off a cliff in January. It's 15th. So they were up to, I think, two. And yeah. Now they're giving up 111 points per 100 possessions. Yeah, and it's, I mean, Chris Dunn deserves a lot of credit for the defense. He's been way better defensively, and he's obviously t- towards the league leaderboard in steals. He's been great. Obviously, they're not, they are not don't have Wendell now, but he was a huge part, just smart defender. He, he was able to help 
blitz that actually able to run that blitz stuff. Obviously, with Luke Cornett doesn't doesn't work quite quite as well. But uh, yeah, I guess we'll see. Like Ricky, you mentioned. I think we're pretty pretty much wrapped up here. Ricky, you mentioned that th- this next upcoming week looks pretty tough. Like it's hard to really see the Bulls. Like the Spurs are much better. We're gonna see Victor Oladipo's return. I think on Wednesday, so that should be a lot of fun. Like I do wonder if maybe that will throw the Pacers off somewhat. But we've seen the Pacers basically own the Bulls in multiple games already while being shorthanded. So, I mean, I just, I, yeah, I don't see the Bulls winning too many games from here. I don't know. Uh, well, I guess if you had to guess right now, Will, how many games do you think the Bulls will win with with this Lowry, Lowry injury on the books now? So they're at, what, 18 and 18 30, and 30 right now? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I haven't looked at, like, each game on the schedule, but I think they'll probably win somewhere around what they won two seasons ago, 27. Yeah. And so, like, nine more wins. Um, and call that like a five-game improvement, even though they won five more games the year before last year. So <laughs> that would be my guess. Yeah, I think that I still think they might have a chance to get thirty, just because coming down the stretch, this part of the schedule is like dog days, and they might be able to steal some wins when Zach goes off. I don't know. It just it just seems just like so pointless now. Like even though they're like in this playoff race, kind of like just with with Lowry missing all this time now, it's just kind of, it's almost like what's the point? Like. You'll see. Watch Zach have some big games, but like besides that, with Lowry out, with Wendell out, it's just like whatever at this point. It's just still kind of depressing. Ricky, you have anything else? Or are we good? I don't have anything else. I just don't know how we're <laughs> gonna keep watching this team the rest of the year. Like watching that Kings game because I was like in that until the third quarter, and then I'm like, what am I doing with my time? Like there's just better things I can be doing Friday right night. now. <laughs> yeah. So that's there's the big like, question. Kings. There's so many <laughs> other fun teams, and like my. I would say my biggest gripe with the state of the rebuild right now is like you look at some other teams who started their rebuild around the same time um, with, you know, approximately the same assets and like they've lapped the Bulls and the Bulls were supposed to have like a jump start on it because they traded Jimmy Butler for some like some package of guys that are already in the league. Um, that That part really frustrates me when you like watch the Memphis Grizzlies or the Mavericks or I don't know, you have to get super lucky to a point in the draft, but um, it just kind of reinforces the idea that things are moving way more slowly than they should be. And I think that's a pretty big issue. Yep. Totally agree. Will, thank you so much for joining us again. Always love having you on. Tell us, tell our listeners where they can find you on Twitter, where they could find all your work. Yeah. Uh, happy to come on. You can find me on Twitter at won't Gottlieb. Um, Right for Bleacher Report. Uh, I've had some stuff up there recently. Uh, did a piece about Derek Rose a few weeks ago, which was fun. Um, so, yeah, check me out there. Nice. Awesome. Thank you again for coming on. Uh, as always, from us here at Cash Considerations, please uh, rate and review us wherever you listen to your pods. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, all those fun places. Shout out, as always, to the Blue Wire Network. I joined uh, one our great Cavs pod before the game. Uh, the guys over at the Chase Down, please go check them out. And all the other Blue Wire podcasts. We got tons of great NBA pods. We got other sports. We got tons of stuff out there. Shout out to the Blue Wire Network. So, for Jason, Ricky, Will, thank you again for joining us. It's been Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast. Take it easy, guys, and we will talk to you next week. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. 
That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.